Good morning. Doesn't it feel good in this place? Whew. What a busy, busy weekend we've had as a Bridge family this weekend. We started Friday night with meeting up with another church and having our own praise and worship experience. Bridge well represented. Yes. Yeah. Courtney read a scripture. Uh, Elizabeth said a prayer. And Shay did her thing by leading praise and worship with one of the songs. So thank you, everybody, that showed up. We had a great turnout, and I'm just so proud to be a part of this family. Then yesterday morning, a bunch of us met up here and uh, prayed together, and then we went to four different Wentzville Elementary Schools and walked around praying for all the kiddos that are going back to school, for the teachers for the administrators, and for you parents. So you can relax knowing we prayed over the schools. God's got it. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. amen. Then last night, we had our own worship experience that we have on Saturday night. It was so sweet. And then the Bridge women had a scavenger hunt. <laughs> so we met up at the Meadows, and that was our last event of the summer. And it was, well, you can imagine, get a bunch of women together. There was lots of laughing going on and, and silliness, and we just had a good time. Um, so anyway, I wanted to let you know that starting next, next weekend, I almost said Sunday, but next Saturday night, we are starting a 10-week series on the book of 1 John. I don't know how much you've read 1 John, but just take my word for it. You're not going to want to miss any of those 10 weeks. It's such an amazing book, and Dustin's going to kick that off next week, so we're really excited about that. So bring your Bibles, bring your notepads, whatever you take notes on, and let's dig into the Word of God together. Amen. Okay, well, a few weeks ago I spoke um, about a word that I felt like God had been dealing with me about. It was about courage. I had been struggling with courage, but God in his, only as God can, spoke to my heart. And so I shared with you what God had been dealing with me about. And I don't know if you remember, but God, again, as only he can do, had given me a scripture that I could stand on. And I've been standing on it because I don't know if you were here, you remember, but I had said how I was really feeling kind of like Moses because he was a lot older when uh, God called him to his mission and, and he was just uh, in a place of life that he didn't have a lot of courage. I said, yeah, I, I could see myself. And then God gave me a verse. I couldn't have picked it out for myself. And he said, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So I'm standing on that promise. And I share that. If you needed a promise to stand on, I was sharing mine with you. But today... Today, I want to talk about a different word that, again, I mean, you just get what God gives me. So hopefully you can get a little bit of what I got. This word, as I've been studying it and reading about it, um, honestly, it just, it really does sound too good to be true. But it's not. And the word is grace. Have you ever heard of the word grace? We use it in a lot of different ways. In fact, if you were to look up the definition you'll find one of the definitions is a simple elegance, as in, she danced with such grace. Another definition is a courteous goodwill, as in, 
Well, at least he had the good grace to do the right thing. Or it's a short prayer we say before we eat. Let's just bow our heads and say grace. You've all used it that way, I'm sure. To be really honest, one of the ways that I could relate to right away was this courteous goodwill. See, in life groups, no matter what you're going through, my experience has been your life group members show you so much grace. I was going through a time of fear, of tears, and so thank you to all my life group members that just poured grace on me. And I can't wait to get those started again this next month. But the grace I want to just spend a few minutes talking about today is God's grace. Now, I would love to, to dive into this one definition I found, but it used words like unmerited favor, regeneration, sanctification. And yeah, those are amazing things. And each one of those we could dive into big time. But for the sake of the next few minutes, I'm going to just use a definition I found that someone had given. It's God's grace is nothing you could ever deserve, but yet God just freely offers it to us for forgiveness and to bless us. Isn't that amazing? So in the next few minutes, I'm going to do what I love to do, and that is just find a few characters in the Bible. You know why I love reading about the different characters in the Bible is because sooner or later, you find yourself. And then all of a sudden, the Bible just becomes so relatable. So that's my goal today. I want you to see some different personalities, some different people, but they all experienced grace. So let's just say a quick word of prayer that God will open up our hearts and our minds to receive what he wants to speak to us today, okay? Heavenly Father, we come before you right now. We want to hear from you. So just open up our hearts, open up our minds. And Lord, I'm asking that you would just use this vessel that you've chosen for the day to speak your word in the way that you want it spoken. We're going to trust you for that very thing. And we give you all the praise and glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, amen. I want to start with this one guy. <clears throat> His name is Peter. Have any of you heard of Peter before? He was one of the 12, as a refresher, that Jesus has handpicked to be one of his disciples. Now, we find him in Matthew chapter 4. Peter has been out fishing all night long and had not caught a single fish, which isn't that big of a deal unless that's what you do for a living. And then that means that you just worked all night and you're not getting a paycheck. That's where we find Peter. I'm pretty sure he was physically exhausted. I'm sure he was pretty discouraged. That's where I would be if I worked all night with no paycheck. And then Jesus walks in. We're on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and Peter's cleaning up his net. And Jesus said, Peter, go back out. Get back in your boat, go out. Now, right away, we see Peter, and he's telling Jesus, hey, I just did this. It's not working tonight. I don't know where they're at, but fish are just not getting in the net. But after a little bit, he does. He does what Jesus says. He climbs back in the boat, heads out. But this time, it was different. The Bible tells us that fish 
just could not wait to get in his net. And it became so heavy that the net itself began to tear. And Peter had to yell for some of his other fishing buddies to come over and help him, help him bring in this load of fish. So again, they're back on the shore. Jesus and Peter do a little talking, and then Jesus says, Peter, follow me. And he does. Now later we find out he was married. So it was kind of impulsive that he just did it. He didn't say, hey, wait just a second. Let me get back with you. I got to go check with the wife. But the Bible says he just followed Jesus. So we see in his personality, he was a bit impulsive. And as we study Peter, we see that same characteristic popping up all the time. He was pretty impulsive. Another thing about Peter is he had a mouth problem. I mean, he was always just saying what he shouldn't say at the worst times. Um, if he thought it, he said it. No filter. That was Peter. In fact, one time he spoke so out of turn that Jesus turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, I would say that was probably something he shouldn't have said. We also see Peter, this same Peter, and he's kind of a thrill seeker. If you remember, the disciples are in a boat, the storm's going on, and they see this, what they thought was a ghost walking by on the water. Turns out to be Jesus. And so one of the disciples gets out of the boat, tries walking on water too. Peter. Now, I know the story. I know he takes his eyes off Jesus for just a second, and he starts sinking. But hey, who was the one that got out of the boat and even tried? It was Peter. Now, Peter also had this anger management issue. We see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's been praying. He knows what's going to happen. The authorities are coming to get him. Peter's with them. And sure enough, here comes the authorities to arrest Jesus. You know what Peter does? He grabs a sword and he cuts off the ear of one of the guys that's coming to arrest Jesus. So he probably had a bit of an anger issue. Jesus just bends down and sticks the ear back on the guy and heals him. He had one other characteristic. He had a lion issue when times got tough. In fact, Jesus, he's now been arrested. And then Peter three times lies. He tells people he don't know who Jesus is. Not once, not twice, but three times. The crazy thing is Jesus had just told him he was going to do it. And he argued with Jesus, I'm not going to do that. I never deny you. Sure enough, times got hard, and guess what he's doing? He's lying. Then he takes off. But you know what is so amazing? Jesus never gave up on Peter. Isn't that amazing? I mean, of all people, Jesus saw all of his faults, but he didn't give up on him. We see Jesus. He had been, he died, he had been buried, he rose again. And the Bible tells us he's going around and checking with some of his family members, and his disciples, a few people. And he makes sure he goes to see Peter. And Peter is back in the boat on the Sea of Galilee doing what he does, fishing. 
he sees Jesus on the shore. Now, remember the last time he encountered Jesus, he was lying that he even knew him. But the Bible tells us that Peter jumps in the water and just swims with all of his might to get to Jesus. And I'll tell you why. Something I failed to tell you when we first started talking, that first encounter that Peter had with Jesus on this very shore, when he brought in the load of fish, as he had obeyed Jesus to go out, try fishing again, Peter had realized just what a hot mess he was. He knew how much of a sinner he was, and here he was standing before Jesus, and he experienced the grace of Jesus. The Bible tells us he fell to his knees before Jesus, and he tells Jesus, just get away from me. I'm too much of a sinner to even be in your presence. But Jesus just says, don't be afraid. Come, follow me. I had never noticed that Jesus told him not to be afraid. I wonder, I wonder what he was afraid of. I think it was because he felt like he could never deserve the grace of God. And I think Jesus said, uh-uh, you can't be bad enough for my grace not to cover you. We got this. The second character I want to talk about is a man that was completely different. Like, he was a really good religious guy. He was a Jew, and he was proud of it because the Jews are known as God's chosen people. He was one of God's chosen people. He was proud of it. He was in pretty good with the religious elite of that day. He was a Roman citizen, which meant he was in the right political party. To see this guy had taken years and he had studied the law of Moses. And this guy knew every one of the 600 plus laws and rules. And he had taken it upon himself to enforce those. To enforce it on everybody that didn't believe exactly like he did. So that's where we find him. Acts chapter 9, he's on his way to Damascus with the full intention of arresting anybody that called themselves a Christian or a follower of Jesus. All of a sudden, a light, a bright light shone from the sky and it knocked him to the ground. And Saul, who we later know as Paul, says, who are you? As a voice speaks and says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. So Jesus says, I want you to get up, go on in the city. I've got a man ready to tell you what I want you to do. So he does. If you read on the next few verses, we find him doing just what Jesus said. He goes on to Damascus, and sure enough, there's a guy God had lined up for him to tell him what Jesus wanted him to do. And right away we see he was baptized, and immediately he began preaching he began preaching, Jesus truly is the son of God. He really is who he says it. He is the Messiah we've been looking for. So again, what happens to this guy, this proud, this rule-following, judgmental guy? He encounters the grace of Jesus. When you encounter the grace of Jesus, you're never the same. 
You're just never the same. If you notice these two guys as different as they were, they were humble and they were obedient. Because that's what happens when you truly, truly experience grace. You're humble because you realize what a hot mess, what a sinner, how unclean you are in the presence of Jesus. But more important, you see who he is in his purest form. And he gives you his grace and you're forever changed. I want to talk about one more person. Maybe you've seen yourself in one of these two guys, but maybe you haven't. This one is a woman. And, well, we don't even know her name. The Bible doesn't even bother telling us her name. Now, I want to remind you that in that day and in that custom, if you were a woman, you really needed a husband. You really did. And not just to feel love and all cozy and little gooseys. No, you needed a husband to survive. You needed somebody to provide shelter, food, protection. You needed a husband. And if you were one of the unlucky few that didn't have a husband, you did whatever it took to survive. Now, I don't know if that's what was going on with this particular woman, but it might have been. But in John chapter 8, we find Jesus with a big crowd around him, and he's teaching. And all of a sudden, he's rudely interrupted by the religious leaders and the Pharisees, and they're dragging in this woman. This woman had been caught in the act of adultery. You're adults. I don't need to tell you what that meant. She had been caught. There was no denying it, and she was wrong. So these religious leaders in front of Jesus stop everything and say, hey, hey, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And you know what Moses' law says? We're supposed to stone her. We're supposed to kill her. And they're yelling and screaming. I can just see this woman trying to hide her face, trying to disappear as these men are trying to embarrass her, humiliate her and judge her. And you know what? They were right. That's what the law said. But that day, she met grace. The Bible tells us that Jesus stooped down, started writing in the dust. They didn't give up. They just kept yelling all the more. We're supposed to go stone her. We're supposed to kill her. Jesus stands up and he says, all right. Now, the one of you who has never sinned, you cast that first stone. He bends back down. He starts writing in the dust. I have no clue what he was writing. The Bible doesn't tell us. So I'm assuming we really don't need to know. But what we do know, when you're in the presence of grace, you won't be casting any stones at anybody else. So sure enough, these guys, these religious leaders, one by one, they turn, they leave. Jesus says to the woman, where are your accusers? Did not even one of them condemn you? She said, no, Lord. 
Now that grabbed me because I had never noticed that when she said Lord, it was with a capital L. You know, I think, I think in this moment, she recognized she needed a Lord. She needed a Savior. She needed somebody to give her grace, and there he was. So she said, no, Lord, nobody's condemning me. So her Lord says to her, go, but sin no more. I think if we're really truthful with ourselves, maybe we really see ourselves more in this moment. Now, maybe we've not done the same act, but we know we've all been disobedient. We know we've done things we're embarrassed of. We know we've done things we wish we hadn't done, but somehow our flesh just gets in the way and we cave in and we do it. But I want you to know, if you look at Jesus and you can truly call him your Lord, you too can hear him say, neither do I condemn you. Just go and sin no more. Now, I'll be really honest with you. When I hear that, go and sin no more, I think, wait, you don't know me. I know how rotten I can be. I know I have a tendency in my flesh to do the wrong thing, to displease God, to not obey what he's asked me to do. I know that about myself, so I can't go and sin no more on my own. Jesus says, I know that. Why do you think I came to earth to begin with? I knew no matter how hard you tried, you just can't be good enough. You need my grace. That's why I let them crucify me. That's why I did it, so that I could pay for your sins, because I knew you couldn't. You just couldn't. And that, my friends, is grace. Now, we know what happened. To Peter and Paul, history will tell us that both of these men were used by God with the same characteristics that could be taken as negative. See, on the day of Pentecost, God used Peter, the big mouth guy, to stand up and boldly preach the gospel. And thousands of people came to Christ. And Paul, with all that zeal he had, God used that. And he started many churches throughout the then known world with that same zeal that he once had to actually persecute Christians. But this woman, we never hear of her again. Or maybe we do. See, there was always a crowd of women that followed Jesus. I don't know if you knew that, but along with the men, the Bible tells us there were women that followed Jesus too. And I wonder if after this experience, she became one of them. You know, as Jesus hung on the cross and he died, there was a group of women, the Bible tells us, that were a little distance off. They were weeping, they were mourning. And they were waiting to get his body to prepare it for a proper burial. I wonder if she was one of them. And then in Acts chapter 1, the Bible tells us there were 120 people gathered in an upper room waiting for the promise of the Father. There was a group of women in that 120. I 
wonder if, if she was one of them that experienced the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon humankind for the very first time. I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me because once you truly experience who Jesus is, you want to stay close. You want to follow him as closely as you can. If you truly experience the grace from the grace giver, you want to stay close. So maybe, maybe you've gotten little glimpses of yourself in Peter. Where Peter, where Peter felt like he probably didn't deserve grace. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you think you've done things that are just too wrong for God to even forgive you. I'm going to tell you, grace is for you. Or maybe you see yourself in Paul. You've tried really hard to follow all the rules and you think you're doing a pretty good job. Maybe you don't realize, yeah, you need grace too. No matter how hard you try, you're going to need grace too. Or maybe you see yourself with this woman that, I wonder if she'd even realized there was such a thing called grace. But there is. Jesus paid the same price for every one of us. Whatever personality traits we have, whatever faults, whatever sin, just call it what it is, is in our lives. He paid the same price for every one of us. It's his desire that you call him Lord and experience the grace that only Jesus can give. I've asked the praise and worship team to end with a song today because I don't know about you, but even just talking about grace makes me want to go to the altar I want more grace. I want to be aware of how much grace I can have. So I'm going to say the same to you. Something we don't do often, but hey, the altar's open. If you want to come down front to pray, or if you just want to pray in your, your seat and make that your altar, for the next couple minutes, I'm just asking you to join me. Come to the altar. Just spend a little time with Jesus. Maybe, maybe you've not felt his grace a whole lot lately. Maybe this is the first time you were even aware that there was such a thing called grace. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we sing the song. You do what you need to do. Talk to the grace giver. Because he wants you to. Grace is for all of us. So Lord, I receive. I receive your grace.